everybody and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful podcast. Today we are in episode 12. Yep. Um, my name is Ben Patterson and I'm here with Paul Hugobart. Uh, good, uh, good day to everyone. It's, uh, it's good to be back here on For What Is Us is, is a Monday, wherever you guys uh, find yourself in your week. Thankful that you're joining us for, for us uh, as we conclude this uh, this series together. Yeah. So. Yeah, we are excited because today we are concluding that series with you always. We've been in this for the whole month of March, and I'm excited today to be landing the plane on this one. Yeah. Um, although certainly this is not content right. that we're ending with. Correct. We'll be circling back to this stuff. This has been our series about the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So. Paul, why don't you one last time give us that quick catch up of what we've yes. been talking about this month, and then let's dive into some fresh content. Okay, so just to try to put a bow on this whole thing, um, you know, we began by talking about our struggle that we have, especially those of us who are, uh, I guess, native to the Western world at this point in time. This is our way of thinking. Uh, it, it has kind of set our our paradigm in a sense, mm-hmm. um, and 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 certainly we embrace a fairly secular worldview, even those of us who are Christians at times. And so uh, maybe real quickly, I could say what I mean by that is that we don't look to supernatural explanations for much of anything um, that happens around us. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, that, that's just a reality for us. Even those of us as Christians, we look immediately to the natural explanation, whatever that happens to be. Um, and, and that wasn't true about us uh, several centuries ago, but it's become true of us over the years. You know, we talked about the Enlightenment, uh, the advent of, um, you know, maybe naturalism, where everything has a natural explanation, even mm-hmm. rationalism in that too, where we get to puzzle everything out. And so when you puzzle it out, you come to conclusion. Uh, so we're logical beings instead of spiritual beings. And that, that means that we're going to have a hard time engaging with the spiritual world around us, period. Um, and then for us as Christians as well, engaging with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit seeks to engage with us. And so mm-hmm. we kind of laid the ground, uh, the groundwork there, kind of set the, uh, the foundation for where we would go from that point by saying, look, we need to desire the presence of the work in the Holy Spirit among us. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, that was in the, the second episode, that it was better for them if he went than if he stayed. It was better because he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's this promise at the beginning of the book of Acts that that promise of the Holy Spirit was not just for the disciples. It wasn't just for that first generation who became Christians. It was for the next generation. And then the apostle Peter goes on to say, and that's in Acts 2, for all those who will follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the promise of the Holy Spirit, yes, forgiveness of sins as well in Acts 2.38, um, it connects with those that, that first audience, but then everyone who hears the message about Jesus and responds receives the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, it was not a one-time promise. It is a forever promise in a sense. And so, uh, so we should desire the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because, again, Jesus says it's better that we have the indwelling presence, all of us, than even if he was to be here with us uh, bodily, which, again, mm-hmm. we have a hard time believing but it, those are the words of Jesus himself. And so that's kind of, I think, maybe the groundwork, the foundation for this series. Again, we, have, we struggle to uh, engage with the spiritual realm, but we ought to move ourselves to a place where we start to push back against the influence of secular culture upon us, especially for those of us who are Christians. We should be more influenced by the words of Jesus 
than the message of culture mm -hmm. around us, mm -hmm. especially with reg regards to mm -hmm. the, the way we engage the Holy Spirit. That's good. That's good. And so last week, you kind of started talking about that we have really two things that the Spirit does in our lives that we were going to kind of zone in on on this series. And you gave this disclaimer that those are obviously not the yes. only two things that the Spirit does, but for our sake of time, those are the two we're going to really dive into. And right. I think last week you really talked about how the Spirit is a catalyst to holiness in our life. And now this week, you want to tell me what, tell us what you shared about in uh, this week's message. Yeah, so um, so when we look at the idea that the Holy Spirit is a catalyst for holiness within our lives, what we're really looking at is the, the way that the Holy Spirit works on you as an individual, the way the Holy Spirit works on me as an individual, again, keeping in mind Romans 8, 28, 29, 30, that the reason the Holy Spirit is working in our lives is to transform us, to make us look more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's this idea in a sense that we're being sanctified. Well, that happens at a personal level. You're being sanctified. I can't control your sanctification. You can't control my sanctification. As we're on this journey being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit partnering with me, the Holy Spirit partnering with you. For any of our listeners, it's the Holy Spirit partnering with them. I can't control that piece of it for them. Um, there's very much that personal uh, experience of the working of God in our lives. And so God is working in you. And the way I've said that uh, several times, you know, in, over the past years is that God wants to work in us so that then he can turn around and work through us. The reality mm -hmm. is we mm -hmm. could keep that, uh, you know, if we say, well, the spirit is a catalyst to holiness in my life. Well, good. That's a very personal pursuit in a sense. God working on me, refining me. And I could allow that to be the extent of it. Mm -hmm. But that mm -hmm. would, in a sense, almost be a selfish thing at some point in time because God wants to work in us, not just to work in us. Yeah. He wants to work in us so that he can turn around and work through us. And so that's what we talked about this week is, is the Holy Spirit, yes, working in you to refine you, but then the shift to the Holy Spirit now working through you so that you can be on mission. But what we talked about this week um, is that this is not just something that, that we go and do. Um, it's something that the Holy Spirit is actually going before us and doing, mm -hmm. and then we get to join Him in His work. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, when we look at uh, many of the promises in Scripture about the mission of Jesus, or even the title of this series, the title of the series is With You Always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those that actually connects with Jesus some of Jesus' last words in the Great Commission, the promise that he makes to the disciples, and there's that tension there, and they must have been feeling that as well because Jesus had told them in you know, John 14, 15, 16, I'm not going to be with you. I'm leaving shortly. And that's the whole conversation that we had in week two about I've got to go, and if I go, it's better for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So these guys who had heard Jesus say, I'll be with you always, had also heard him say, I'm not going to be, be with you always, but hopefully they understood the context that what he meant was the presence of God would be with them always as they were on mission for God. And so, so he calls them on this mission, says, and I'll be with you always. The presence of God is going to go with you always. And so I want you to now live your life on mission for me. But as you do that, I will be with you. Mm -hmm. I will go before you. Um, and, and we'll talk more about the ways that that gets, I think, real practical a little bit later on in this episode. But I, I think we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is really the fire 
that fuels the mission of God. I mean, he is the fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's not me. It's not you. It's not mm -hmm. any of us in church leadership. Mm -hmm. Our part is to come and be faithful. I can never be the fire, but I can be faithful. So the Holy Spirit is the fire that fuels the mission, um, which, which when we understand that well is going to take us to a place, and we'll talk about this more again, is of just this deep dependence upon the Holy Spirit to do what He can do, to do what only He can yeah. do, and then us to partner with Him in faithfulness. So that's really kind of what we talked about this week in a nutshell. That's good. So let me ask you about something that you said in there is that you, you kind of seem to suggest that the promise of the Spirit may even be contingent on mm. faithfulness to the mission of Jesus. And that was kind of a, I don't know, it's a bold claim. So yeah. tell me a little bit more about that, about what did you, what did you mean by that? Um, share a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I'll say this. I would probably stop short of saying contingent. So, so here's the way I framed it, and let me back up into Matthew 28. Okay. So, yep. so what I said um, on Sunday is this, that whether or not the promise of God's presence is contingent upon faithfulness to the Great Commission, we must acknowledge that the promise falls within the context of mm -hmm. the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, j just to, to see Jesus' words. Okay, so, so the Great Commission as we know it. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And it's at that point that he promises, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, the, the title mm -hmm. for the series, mm -hmm. I'm with you or with you always. Um, <clears throat> it, is when the it is within the context of that Great Commission, that sending moment, that Jesus actually says to his disciples, and listen, guys, I'm going to be with you as you're doing this. Mm -hmm. Again, if we back up into John 16, um, we see that Jesus talks about the work of the Spirit uh, in convicting the world of, of sin and righteous and judgment, right? I mean, so a very missional piece that, that Jesus uh, actually says is, you know, this is the work of the Spirit. So the work of the Spirit will be working to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so, you know, again, as I think we talked about that in the second episode of this podcast, is that often we think that's our job. I need to go convict sinners of their sinfulness. When actually that's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, could yeah. the Holy Spirit work through you to convict someone of, of, mm -hmm. of their sinfulness or of, of righteousness or even judgment? Absolutely. I mean, that can be. Um, but we need to make sure that we're in tune with the Holy Spirit as we're going and maybe having a conversation with somebody yeah. as opposed to you know, us leading the way, it's the Holy Spirit leading the way because that is the work of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and Jesus, again, places an awful lot of emphasis on what the Spirit is gonna, going to do mm -hmm. and then the disciples coming along mm -hmm. and partnering with the Spirit in faithfulness. And so um, is it contingent? Um, I might not go that far. But we absolutely can't deny that in this moment, in this passage, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus gives the Great Commission, calls the disciples onto mission, and then in that moment promises within that context that he will be with them always mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. the very end of the age. Mm -hmm. Is it outside of that promise that he says he will be with them as well? I don't know. I mean, I. It's hard for me to say what God does and doesn't do, but when I read those words, it certainly is within that context that He promises His presence. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's a big thing. That's, that's, that's not a small thing. So yeah, I, I, 
I hear your question, I get your question, and so I'll go, I'm not gonna say contingent. Yeah. So if we're not on mission, the presence of God is never with us. But there are times where I have looked around and wondered, well, why, why don't I experience the presence of God? And then I have to be honest is that maybe I don't put myself in situations where I need the presence of God mm. nearly often enough. Mm. And good. so I don't That's experience like God's that. presence. Yeah. You know, and so when we're out on mission, we're taking risks for God. Yeah. We need God in those moments. So we well, know it, we need him. We're desperate for yeah. him in those moments. It does seem we clearly could say from that is that the Spirit of God is absolutely necessary and essential for being on the mission. I mean, just yes. having that come um, with that promise coming in that context, which yes. is interesting. I really like how you illuminated that because I don't know how much I had thought of that or really put those two together, which it seems quite obvious, but it really connected connected that as much in my own head. So I think that's really helpful. Yeah, so we actually looked at two passages yesterday. The first was yeah. the Great Commission. Um, the second is, is Luke uh, in, in the beginning of Acts, verses one through five, and then we looked at eight as well, gives kind of the summary mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, of what happens in between the time that Jesus is crucified, he's raised from the dead. Now he spends, Luke, Luke talks about 40 days with his disciples, equipping them, uh, teaching them, talking, you know, being with them. Um, then he ascends. You know, that's, the, that's where we see the Great Commission given. And, and Luke talks about that time. You know, actually, the words he says is, you know, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So think about the work that Jesus did with his apostles over the course, or his disciples' apostles, over the course of several years. Then he is back with them for 40 days and he's engaging with them. In fact, Luke says very plainly, he gave them instructions. So I imagine that what Jesus was doing was teaching, equipping, uh, more discipling, pouring into these guys, investing in them. So if mm -hmm. anybody was mm -hmm. ever equipped to go do the work of God, you would imagine it would have been these disciples mm -hmm. who had seen mm -hmm. the way that Jesus worked, who had listened to the things that he taught, you know, I mean, you listen to your favorite preacher every now and then, and you might pick up a line from him here or there that you think is really powerful. You turn around and use that as well. I mean, his, the, the, these disciples heard Jesus speak. I'm yeah. certain that yeah. they picked up from him, and we can see that in, in the writings of the New Testament, the, the things that they picked up from him that they then carried on and taught to others. Again, these guys would have been well-equipped. Jesus himself invested in them over the course of several years. So we would think, okay, well, if that's what it takes, teaching, training, and equipping, these guys were prepared. Mm -hmm. They were prepared to go do the work that, that Jesus had been doing himself. Mm -hmm. Except Jesus says, hang on a minute. All the teaching, training, and equipping in the world, even from me to you, is not enough. You're not ready to go until one thing happens. Until one more thing happens. And that's in Acts, you know, again, this passage of Acts um, 1, 1 through 5. Toward the end of this section, Jesus says these words. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. Right? So this was on an occasion when he was eating with them. He actually gave this, Luke says, as a command. Yeah. As a command. Yeah. Do not leave Jerusalem until what? Until the Spirit Holy comes. Spirit comes. Yeah. Don't go on this mission without him. You can't do it. So again, I mean, I, you know, I'm struck by the fact that, you know, 
Um, these guys were with Jesus, had seen everything Jesus had done. Again, I, I don't want to you know, beat this dead horse too far, but if anyone was equipped to go live out the mission of Jesus the way Jesus had ministered, it should have been these guys. Yeah. But Jesus says, hang on, you can't go until the Holy Spirit comes. And then just a few mm-hmm. verses later in Acts 8 or Acts 1 8, he says this. Mm-hmm. Here's why. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power so that you can go be my witnesses in Jerusalem first, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So it is not the teaching, training, and equipping that now gives you the power to go be my witnesses. It's the Holy Spirit when He comes, He will give you power to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends ends of the earth. So don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes, until He gives you the power, until He goes before you. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go do any of this mission stuff mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. the power that I'm sending you to go do and go live out the mission that I'm calling you on. It really just puts things in perspective. How, how arrogant is it for us when we think that we can do the mission, that we can go out and complete the mission on our own strength, on our own yeah. cleverness, on our own, in our own power, yes. when his own disciples couldn't, when Jesus yeah. is so clear that his own disciples, not that we were his disciples as well, but the people who actually walked yeah, with him disciples. Yep. could not do it on their own strength. Yeah, and again, I don't want to minimize teaching, training, and equipping because yeah, no, Jesus spent time of discipling his disciples. Course, yeah. he, he was teaching them. He was training them. He was equipping them. He was pouring into yeah. them. I mean, it was a constant process of that for, for a period of several years. Mm-hmm. But Jesus does say, and this is what we need to hear, that's not enough. Yeah. The mission that I'm giving you is too big for all of your learning for all of your knowledge, for whatever eloquence you may have, it's just too big for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for us today as well. You know, I, Jesus was telling his disciples plainly that they could not accomplish the mission he had given them on their own power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's a lesson in that for us as well. We also cannot accomplish the mission that Jesus is giving us today to go into this world and to still make disciples, to still baptize, to still teach people to obey everything that he's commanded them. I mean, good grief, it's, it's overwhelming in my life to think about me obeying everything yeah. that Jesus has commanded for me to do. It's a whole different thing when I start to, teach, uh, start to think about teaching others to obey. And it's one thing to think about being a disciple. It's another thing to, ma- to think about making disciples. And then it's a whole other thing to think about making disciple makers who will continue to pass that on. As you start to think about the scope of the mission that Jesus has called us into, it's very easy to to, to become overwhelmed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think we're actually supposed to be somewhat overwhelmed by the scope of the mission. Mm -hmm. Enough to the point that it does what it did for those early disciples. They were desperate for, for the Holy Spirit to work among them so that they could see the work of God actually being accomplished. You know, if, if we were to go a little bit further in Acts, and in fact, maybe just a quick comment about Acts. I think about, um, you know, we talked about, you know, this, you know, is often called the Acts of the Apostles. It might be better called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And certainly we see all the way throughout uh, Luke's book entitled Acts, we see the Holy Spirit moving and doing amazing things through fairly ordinary people. What on many in many ways would be fairly ordinary people, or people who've had this amazing change, this amazing conversion, like the Apostle Paul, who you'd think 
no way that guy is ever going to turn around mm -hmm. and preach Jesus. In fact, that's what the early Christians thought. Not that guy. He must be a, you know, a, a spy, a plant. You know, this can't be sincere. He can't really be the one that God is choosing to now take the gospel uh, to the farthest corners of the earth. Um, you see in Acts 4 at one point in time when um, you got, uh, I think it was, was it Peter and John who had gone to the temple and um, had this interaction uh, where they, they heal this guy who was at the temple who, mm -hmm. um, who you know, was begging for money. Mm -hmm. and, and they didn't have any money, but they had the ability to, to, to heal him. And so they heal him. Well, of course, some of the religious lead, you know, leading religious leaders didn't really like that. In fact, they tell these two apostles, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they decide they can't not talk about Jesus. And so, you know, at the end of this, uh, you know, at the end of this encounter, um, you know, Peter and John go back to the, the disciples after being released. Um, and, and there's this amazing moment where we see just how desperate this gathered group of disciples, just how desperate they were for the moving of the Holy Spirit because they prayed this prayer together toward the end of Acts chapter 4. And I just want to read these words real quickly. Mm -hmm. So it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, this is in verse 23, and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, which was, hey, fellas, cut it out. Don't do this anymore. Don't do it anymore, and, and we're going to threaten you that if you do, there are going to be serious consequences. Stop it. No more. Yeah. So on reporting this, it says, you know, when the other disciples heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They didn't sit there and moan or bemoan what had just happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, they didn't sit there and complain about the treatment that they had received. They didn't sit there and complain about the fact that these Jewish leaders, out of everyone else, they ought to have been the ones that knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They should be on their side, not on the other side. I mean, all these things that we might be tempted to do if we had been mistreated, treated unfairly, now released, mm -hmm. uh, coming back to our people, we would look for those, you know, misery loves company kind of thing. So we would mm -hmm. look for people to commiserate with us. And that's not what they did at all. What they did in that moment immediately was they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said these words, Sovereign Lord, so recognizing God as king, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea. In other words, nothing is impossible for you. Everything we see, it belongs to you. Mm -hmm. They go on to quote this, uh, this Psalm of David where David says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And out of that, they see the significance of what happened when Jesus was put to death. And so they talk about Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles coming together and the people of Israel coming together to conspire against Jesus, to crucify him. So they say in verse 28, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And then they say these words, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And, and check this out. In that moment where they prayed, this is what we see in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did it lead them to do? And they spoke the word of God boldly. Mm -hmm. So here are these guys who, again, they'd, they'd, they'd been threatened uh, with punishment, with, with probably more beatings, probably more severe beatings. 
keep quiet, don't do this anymore. And what they go do is, is they get together with this little group of Christians. And in that moment, they all join together, raise their voices in God in prayer. And what are they praying for? Boldness, so they can keep living the mission of Jesus. In spite of whatever they're facing, they want to live the mission of Jesus. And God grants their prayers. How? By filling them. Now, again, remember, these were all believers. Mm -hmm. So they all had the Holy Spirit indwelling them. I mean, the Acts 2.38 promise, I would imagine that these are some of the Christians who were there when Peter preached that message and, and said, repent, right? Mm -hmm. Be baptized. Mm -hmm. You're going to receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, again, in this moment, they were again filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we want to say that, that we as believers, we've been given the Holy Spirit at the moment of our baptism. And I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. But there are moments where we have to be again, apparently, filled with the Holy Spirit yeah, yeah. to go again, be bold yeah. for the sake of the mission that Jesus has given us. And so we can see the Holy Spirit all throughout the book of Acts here in a very prominent way, being the fuel for the mission of Jesus. Mm -hmm. They did not mm -hmm. do this on their own. It was in the moment where they're filled. Now, they, they had the desire. They had the training. They had the equipping. All of that. They'd been taught. All of that was good. What they needed again in that moment to turn around and go be bold again for the sake of the mission of Jesus mm -hmm. was to mm -hmm. once again be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And when it happened, they went and preached again mm -hmm. in a way that they, they were saying, making a bold declaration, look, whatever threats you have against us, we're not going to stop doing what we know to be right. Bottom line. I love that. I love all the things you said in that was how the early church had this acknowledgement of how big the mission was yes. that led them to a spot of knowing that they needed the Spirit. Like, they absolutely yes. had to rely on Him. They knew they couldn't do it yeah, on their own. Desperation. And it seems that maybe we've lost that at times in the modern church. And it, it, it's interesting yeah. because... I think of I think of when I've went on short term mission trips, and it's something that I I love. I'm really passionate yeah. about short term mission trips, especially doing that with students because mm -hmm. there is that experience of when we are on those trips that there a reliant there is a reliance on the on the spirit. There is yeah. a acknowledgement of that what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish, is bigger than yes. what we can do on our own, and Sometimes that ideally translates when you come home to seeing that in every aspect of your life. Obviously, it doesn't always go that way. Yeah. But um, there is just that reliance on the yes. need for we need the Spirit to show up here in this moment. So yep. I just wonder if we have lost that at times just in complacency yeah. in our own lives in just the regular day-to-day -day life. And you shared a quote yesterday from A.W. Tozer that kind of showed that this has been a problem of yeah. that has been going on for a long time. It's not just an issue in the modern church that we, you know, become disconnected from the Spirit of God, that we try to do things in our own strength. Because this is a quote from, what were you telling me, 50s, 60s yeah, or so? 1950s. Yep. Yeah, that yep. Toto shared. So let's talk about that. I thought this was really a powerful thing that you indicate. I'd love to hear. Yeah, so, so even in week two, um, you know, in talking with the fact that, that many of us, if we were given the option to spend a day with Jesus in the flesh, yep. Yep. or have 
an entire lifetime indwelt by the Holy Spirit, many of us would kind of have a hard time knowing which one to choose, right? And, you know, and out of that, I said, is that somewhere along the line, the people of God made the determination that they could carry on the work of God without the presence of God. And that's kind of what Tozer mm -hmm. says in this. So keep that kind of in your mind as, as we read these words together. I'll try to kind of maybe stop every now and then explain. We, we can discuss mm -hmm. a little bit what Tozer was saying. So I think this came out of a, a message that Tozer preached. Um, I've looked to try to find if this is in one of the books that he's written. And, and everywhere I've looked, I've had a hard time tracking this down uh, in particular. But uh, this, is, this is definitely credited to Tozer. Tozer says this. He says, our mistake is that we want God to send revival on our terms. We want to get the power of God into our hands to call it to us so that it may work for us in promoting and furthering our kind of Christianity. We still want to be in charge, guiding the chariot through the religious sky in the direction we want it to go, shouting glory to God, but modestly accepting a share of the glory for ourselves in a nice, inoffensive sort of way. We are calling on God to send fire on our altars, completely ignoring the fact that they are our, our altars and not God's. Okay, so let's just process that for, for a bit. Um, you know, I, I think what Tozer is actually pointing to here is, is maybe a little bit different than what we've been talking about, but, but definitely I think joined a good bit. Um, you know, maybe the picture of the kind of people that he's painting is the picture of, of folks that would like God to move, but they want God to move so that they can get the glory out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's in many ways, I think, still our, our issue today. Um, you know, we're 70 years removed from the time that, that Tozer either spoke or penned these words. Um, you know, we would like to see God move, but it's our altar and not God's altar. So we're mm -hmm. not really surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit. We'd like to, if, if it is a Holy Spirit engagement, um, we want the Holy Spirit to act on our terms. But then as Tozer moves into this next uh, piece uh, of what he says, uh, you get to see that maybe there are a lot of similarities between the current church and the church of the 1950s that Tozer mm -hmm. was addressing. So here's what he says next. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, okay, so if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, Tozer says, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Mm. Okay, now contrast that to what he says about the New Testament church. He says, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, talking likely about what we see in the book of Acts, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Okay, wow. so, so again, hear those words, wow. the deep contrast there. If, if the Holy Spirit yeah. was taken yeah. away from today's church, Tozer's looking around and saying, what difference would it make? Mm -hmm. Nobody mm -hmm. would know the difference. Mm -hmm. We would look at the work of the church and we would say, well, the church is doing just what the church has been doing for years, absent and devoid of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think Tozer is leaving the door open for the fact that maybe the Holy Spirit has been trying to work behind the scenes, but he's pointing out the fact that the church has not been as a whole reliant and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We've instead been relying and depending upon ourselves, yeah. Yeah. upon our teaching our training, our education, our equipping, mm -hmm. our own giftings, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, on personalities that, you know, maybe light the world on fire instead of the working of God to light the world mm -hmm. on fire. You know, so uh, that ought to be convicting. Then when you look at the New Testament church, Tozer is saying, on, on the contrary, 95% of what they did could never have happened if the Holy Spirit had not been at work. 
You know, it's back to what yeah. Paul says the, to the Corinthian church. I, I didn't come to you with eloquent words. In fact, I came to you in the power of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That is what I resolved to do when I was among you. That's it. It was working through the power of the Spirit. And I intentionally did not speak with eloquent words so that you would see the power of the Spirit and not me. Mm-hmm. But we have kind of reversed that. We, we I, I think maybe, I, I don't know, without being judgmental, I think, you know, many of us who stand up on Sundays, um, we get caught up in the trap uh, of people seeing us mm-hmm. and our words as significant instead of the movement of the Holy Spirit among us as the most significant thing. Tozer goes on to say this. In fact, he says that specifically almost. He says, this is the tragedy and woe of the hour that we neglect the most important one who could possibly be in our midst, the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think, unfortunately, if, if we're honest, we, we have to say that, that his assessment is, is correct in many ways. I mean, again, if we, if we just look at the church, the modern church, now again, not wanting to be overly critical and judgmental, in fact, maybe instead of doing that, we could kind of flip it and just say, okay, let's not be too critical. Let's not be too judgmental. Let's take a moment for self-assessment and just say, is it possible that Tozer could be describing my church, your church, the way I've operated as a leader? And if that's true, am I okay with that? Yeah. Am I okay with the Holy Spirit um, not being... That, that fire that fuels the mission of God? Mm-hmm. Am I okay with relying on myself? Am I okay with the fact that you could take the Holy Spirit away from our church and 95% of what happens here would just go on fine and nobody would know the difference? Or do I want to be at a place where if the Holy Spirit was removed from our work here, where everybody would know the next day that something had changed? You know, I think about the, the, the way that Jesus speaks to these churches in uh, Revelation 2 and 3. And to the churches that are not being faithful, that are maybe relying on themselves too much, that have lost their first love, that are falling in love with the world again, that are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I mean, the threat to those churches is, I will come and remove your lampstand. Is that a way of saying, I'll come and remove the Holy Spirit? I'll take my presence from you? I think it probably is. Um, so it's not, it's not as though this is a, you know, just, just a, something we're imagining could happen. Mm-hmm. It's something that Jesus said would happen mm-hmm. if the church doesn't live mm-hmm. for him. And so here we are, I, I guess, facing that same question. Are, are we going to depend radically upon the Holy Spirit or are we going to just be okay with church as we know it? Well, I think for us, you know, Ben, um, at Grace Chapel, we as a leadership have determined, um, I don't know, more than a year ago, several years ago, I mean, as we started praying together in a, in a radical way mm-hmm. uh, that God would move among us, we started to pray for renewal, revival, and awakening. I mean, what's wild about that is you start to pray for renewal, revival, and awakening, you realize very quickly you're praying something you can't control, something that you don't have nearly enough ability and talent in your own body to cause to happen. Only God can make this happen. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we started praying that as a, as a leadership team um, several years ago. 
we started praying together, as we've talked about on this podcast mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. Um, you know, every weekday at 10.02. If, if any of us are together or even if we're apart, mm-hmm. our alarms go off and we pray this prayer asking God, who is the Lord of the harvest, to send workers into the harvest field. We're actually trusting God to be the Lord of the harvest mm-hmm. instead of trusting in our own power to somehow um, go out into the harvest fields and somehow make something miraculous happen. No, only God can make that kind of miracle happen where we go into the harvest fields and we find that, that the harvest is plenty. I mean, that, that's God's work to find out that the harvest is plenty. Or from, we've talked about the Colossians 4 prayer. You know, we pray that many of us every day at, uh, you know, 424, 434, whatever mm-hmm. it happens mm-hmm. to be. You know, the, the Acts 4 passage that I just talked about uh, a few minutes ago, I, I set my alarm, you know, so I already had an alarm that went off at 424 in the afternoon. And so I had this moment where, I, man, this Acts 4 passage was really starting to make this impact on me. And I felt the need to pray for boldness, boldness and fearlessness and that yeah. God would move with signs and wonders if that's what it takes. And so, you know, so I was thinking, well, am I going to remove the Colossians 4 prayer from my daily prayer routine and insert the Acts 4 prayer? And then I thought, you know what, four o'clock comes around twice daily. One of them's just really early in the morning. So there's a part of me that was a little hesitant to do that, but I've started praying Acts 4, 24 through 30, that passage, that section of scripture. Um, I've set my alarm for 424 every morning and I, I wake up just for a few minutes. So, um, you know, my goal, since it's Acts 2 or Acts 4, 24 through 30, my goal is to be awake between uh, 424 and 430 in the morning. Um, sometimes it's a little longer than that, but just to be praying those words that, that God would inspire us to be bold and fear, fearless. Because I am convinced, Ben, that, that the people of God must be dependent upon the presence of God for the yeah. work of God. There's just no other way. There's just no yeah. other way. The mission, yeah. again, it is, it is too big. Yeah. It is too big. And therefore, we have to have God show up or it's just not going to happen. That's, that's intense. That's really, that's really good. So what, what, what does that look like? What's that look like for us to have that radical dependence on the Spirit, for us to be asking for that? Uh, like you, you shared a couple examples through those yeah. prayers of what does it look like for us to practice it? And it might be just that. Is there anything that you would add for what would it look like for us to be dependent upon God's presence for His work? Yeah, and so... Um, Man, I don't want to say this in. A, I want to say this as humbly as I think the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church. But but leaders have to go first in these kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I'm trying to make the choice to go first in the way I'm living and praying by example for God to work. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. Paul said at one point in time, the Corinthian church, he said, "Follow me as I follow the example of Jesus." Well, can I actually point back to the example of Jesus in this? I mean, we see Jesus all the time getting up early, going to a quiet place to pray. So the Son of God had to go engage with God the Father, mm-hmm. God the Spirit. We even see God the Spirit engaging with Jesus. And we see that a lot of the work that Jesus did was made possible through the working of the Holy Spirit. And so mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to be working in his ministry for some of the things that he did to have happen, then, then we do as well. And so... I want to follow the example of Jesus. I want to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. I want to follow the example of these early Christians 
who said, we're going to pray um, as if we believe that if God doesn't move, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to pray with this level of desperation. You know, I, I shared yesterday as well the, the William Temple quote, and he was, William Temple was, a, I think, Archbishop of, Archbishop of Canterbury somewhere in the, the 1940s. Mm-hmm. But he said these words, and it's kind, of, it's kind of a cute phrase, but it's very true. He says, mm-hmm. when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. that to be true, mm-hmm. Ben. Um, and I, I mean, I'm past the point of even calling them coincidences yeah. anymore. Yeah. So we've yeah. been praying, many of us in this church now, that, you know, that God would be the one who opens doors so that he would provide us opportunity. And then as he provides us opportunity, he provides us ability to be able to walk through those doors and speak the message of, of Jesus clearly. The more we pray for open doors, the more open doors there are. Yeah. I mean, the more doors we see opening. Yeah. I mean, it's happening week after week, you know, in our staff meetings or in mm-hmm. other leadership mm-hmm. meetings or in phone calls. I'm, I'm, ha- I'm getting from people who, who are saying, you know, hey, I have been trying to have this conversation with my neighbor for years and I gave up. I quit. And then I, we started praying this prayer and then my neighbor came to me and he asked me. Never had anything like that happen before. Yeah. But as we started praying, coincidences, only they're not coincidences, it's, it's God incidences maybe. You know, so here is God working as we started praying and now we're seeing things happen that we hadn't seen happen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our eyes are more open to it as well, of course, but these are things that did not happen like this before to us. And we're yeah. hearing stories every week of God opening doors and then people coming alongside God in a faithful response to walk through that open door, trusting that even if they don't yet know how, God will provide them the ability through the power of the Spirit working in them. So if we got the power of the Spirit working to open a door, then the Spirit can also empower us as we walk through that open door to have that conversation, to invest in that life as we need to. So I think that's, I mean, that's the one thing. It's this simple, really. Mm-hmm. Set your alarm for 10.02. Pray that God would be the Lord of the harvest and that he would send workers into the harvest field. If that's the prayer that you need to pray. If it's Colossians 4, set your alarm to 4.24. If you want to expand that passage and pray at 4.26, so Colossians 4, 2 through 6, you could do that. Set your alarm and pray that prayer. Mm-hmm. Pray it at 4 p.m., pray it at 4 a.m., whatever it is. Or if the, if the Acts 4 prayer really appeals to you, if what you actually need is boldness and fearlessness, or if you need God to do a miracle in the life of someone else, if you need signs and wonders, whatever that happens to look like, to be able to speak faithfully the Word of God, then ask Him for it. And trust that He will be faithful and come through. And then as he's faithful, you join him in faithfulness as well. I mean, I think that's the call out that's of this awesome. series. That's awesome. Yeah. That's such a simple step. But as we have seen, it's led to such powerful results that have come yeah. out of that, of God showing up, working in a way that we can't explain, that we can't fully put together. And yes. both in 
I mean, I've seen that just in circumstances of how um, the coincidences, as William Temple put it, have happened, but also just in how it changes you and how it just changes oh, 100%. your own heart, that your, your eyes are open for it. I remember following our mission trip this past summer to New Orleans. There was a, uh, we actually, and this is, it was such a cool timing because the guy who was leading the mission trip, mm -hmm. the local pastor there named Justin in New Orleans, Colossians 4, uh, yeah. 2 through 4, was like his favorite passage. And that's what he really encouraged us as a team. We prayed that together every morning. And leaving that trip, we just had some awesome encounters there where God showed up in some powerful ways. But there was a student who, when he came home, he really just had it on his heart that, you know what? I'm not doing this at home. I'm not looking for right. these opportunities. Yes. I'm not on mission here. And he continued praying those words and he started it just i think it just started to change his heart in the yeah. way he was seeing things and there were friends that he started to see as hey this is a discipleship opportunity and started meeting with some of those guys and just some really cool stories i've heard from him that have come out of that mm -hmm. that it it changed his heart. That's right. And then we've also seen just these stories of these coincidences that was nothing that we did, but just something just showed up that this, that, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to like, because we've heard stories that we don't necessarily want to go into some of the details on those, but it's quite amazing. Yeah. How else do you explain the things that we've seen, the yeah. things that we are seeing yeah. without God? You yeah. know, and I, I can just say, if there's anybody who's listening to us, uh, right now and thinking, boy, that's just, it. I don't know if I believe that prayer can really do the things you're saying it can do in the sense of actually being at the heart of moving those who have not been receptive to the gospel message to where they're now receptive. Um, let me just say this real quick and we, we can probably wrap up here with this. Um, so I've got a friend who was one of the first to engage with um, the, the guy that I've talked about in Sierra Leone a number of times, mm -hmm. this guy, Shadonke Johnson. And uh, they, were, they were talking early on in the time of this movement. And uh, in the engagement, um, Shadonke was looking for a different way of doing things. He'd already been trying to teach the gospel to the people of Sierra Leone, but mm -hmm. they, they weren't particularly receptive. Um, so he's talking with this guy and, and said to this guy at one point in time, hey, what, what do you think is missing? What do you think is missing? And the guy said, you know what? I think, I think we're not praying the way the first Christians did. And Shadonke admits that at first he was, he was skeptical. Are you, t are you telling me that prayer is the thing we're missing? No, we need a new clever technique. We just need to work harder. We need to, mm -hmm. all these things that we might think we need to do. Yeah. Um, and Shadonke says, without a doubt, it was when they began to pray that things and people began to change. That was the moment. Yeah. That was the moment. And again, now leading a, a disciple-making movement that is responsible for the population of of a nation being nearly 40% Christian, mm. where it was less than 10% Christian 15, 20 years ago. Wow. And it began with prayer. Yeah. So do not minimize the power of praying these words to God. 
the power of asking God to move, whether you're talking about a specific person or whether we're just saying, God, we want you to provide us with opportunities wherever mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. may be and wherever mm -hmm. they may come from. Pray these prayers and then watch for God to move. I love that. It's a powerful testimony to end it on. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for your your heart in uh, leading us in this way. And we truly hope that you all will take this yeah. take this call seriously to spend some time in prayer about this, to pray one of those scriptures, whatever that might look like, to incorporate that in your life. We would just we would urge you to do that. Yeah, take that step. Take that faithfully. Yeah, consistently and faithfully. Awesome. Well, thank y'all. Thank y'all for tuning in this week. Uh, next week we are we've closed this series, yeah, although certainly right. not these ideas that we'll be continuing to talk about as we move forward. But next week we're turning the corner into this new series called Scent. Yes. Um, so I think it's going to follow very nicely yeah, off of this. Absolutely. So we look forward to diving into that conversation and look forward to seeing y'all again. Mm -hmm.